1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, I hate to rat you out here on the podcast, but I have inside information that you are engaging in objectionable behavior with the boss's daughter. I should probably explain that the boss in this scenario is Bruce Springsteen, his daughter is Olympic equestrian rider Jessica Springsteen, and your objectionable behavior is betting on her at 40 to 1 when 50 to 1 odds were available. John, what do you have to say for yourself?
0: Oh yeah. That's an easy defense. I mean, I put literally $1 on her as a novelty (laughs) bet when she had no chance to win. And in fact, didn't even get out of the first round or whatever they call that in horse jumping. (laughs) Uh, so if I print out my losing info that I got from online and put in like, uh, brucerocks.com or some other fanboy fangirl site that I just made up I could probably make like a 500 profit and the sucker will pay just as much for a 40 to 1 as a ticket as a 50 to 1 maybe more right since I'm showing my confidence in the young lady you know who by the way is 29 and I learned the average age in the field is 39 so Jessica may have another four or five olympics in her and if she ever medals then this losing ticket it, it just becomes part of someone's shrine is the way I figure it
1: there you go. Yeah, the, the age thing when I was uh, researching my own story on her, that's where I discovered that uh, when Jessica Springsteen was one, her hero to be or something like that competed in her first Olympics in 1992. And that woman is still competing in the Olympics on the <laughs> same team at, you know, in her mid fifties now. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I accused you of objectionable behavior there. But uh, anyone who read the preview article that I just referenced uh, this week with all the Bruce song references, ham fistedly. Yeah. Cur- Crammed in there could yeah, certainly accuse me of objectionable behavior as well. Yeah,
0: that's uh, that's definitely true. And <laughs> I remember over 30 years ago, I covered my first uh, New York City marathon, and I noticed like you know, wow, I, I think some of these athletes are over like 40. It's amazing they're in the race, you know. Then I found out the average age for the New York City marathon at the time was like 39. Also, I was like, holy crap! I'm looking for somebody over 50. Can you imagine somebody running the marathon over 50 years old? And of course, even in the 1980s, there were people in their 70s yep. <laughs> who were running the damn race. So i was like oh okay and i'm younger than the average person and i'm not running f that far ever so <laughs> yeah it's a little a uh, little daunting but uh yeah jessica's got a shot someday and then like i said this. Uh this losing ticket will be part of that shrine of some uh, Jersey shore fan.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know that the, I view that I'm a big Springsteen <laughs> fan. I'm not sure I view that as a collector's <laughs> item worth uh, pursuing, but you're probably right. Somebody out there will want it. And, and I would have to assume the New Jersey sports books did fairly well on equestrian this week that uh, a lot of people followed your lead and uh, put down a, a little something, a lot of $1, $5, $10, those sort of bets on her uh, for something that was, probably dead money from, from the outset. Uh, Although uh, I don't believe the team event has happened yet. And uh, if USA wins that gold, which is not unrealistic, that would probably be bad news for the Jersey sports books. I would think
0: Uh, I have a buck on that also. All
1: right. Well, good luck to you, sir. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 154 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 153 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. You can listen to the old episodes, compare them to the more recent episodes. And let us know if our glory days have passed us by.
0: Uh, just one more. You couldn't resist. <laughs> one more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Jake Croucher. He's the head of trading for PointsBet. That's a sportsbook brand, uh, Australian-based, that is constantly making news and expanding to new states uh, over here. Uh, we'll ask, Jay, about the popularity of the points betting concept, which sports are getting the most action in various states, and the challenges a bookmaker face reacting to rumors and and more. But 1st it's been a possibly, possibly busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it.
2: Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: There is no doubt what the top story of the week is in the sports betting world, as the NHL is investigating allegations that San Jose Sharks forward Evander Kane bet on his own team's games and compromise them. And oh, by the way, those allegations were made by Kane's wife, who is apparently soon to be his ex-wife. This little scandal, or at least brewing possible scandal, has it all. Uh, here are the facts. Anna Kane posted on Instagram on Saturday night that her husband bet on Sharks games with bookies and through the games and has a gambling addiction. Evander promptly denied it all and said he has never bet on hockey. Uh, The NHL, which has a clear-cut rule against players betting on league games, immediately announced it was launching an investigation. Kane does have a gambling history. The Cosmopolitan filed a complaint against him in 2019 for failing to pay a $500,000 casino marker. And Kane filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy this January and claimed in that filing that he lost $1.5 million gambling, quote, at casino and via Bookie. So there's some circumstantial evidence there suggesting Anna is not totally making up the idea that he has a gambling problem. There's also circumstantial evidence supporting her having an ax to grind as they are expected to divorce. And she separately accused him of neglecting his family while he's been out partying. So... With the disclaimer that we have no idea if Evander Kane has bet NHL games or specifically Sharks games, let me get your take, John. Is this the biggest sports betting scandal since Pete Rose, if it's true? Uh, Can one player who's not a goalie effectively throw a hockey game? And if the NHL finds Kane did bet on hockey games, what do you expect the penalty to be?
0: Uh, first off, I once knew a couple who friends said they were right to marry each other because that spared two other people from the torment of living with either <laughs> either one. Yeah, I'm not sure if this duo fits the bill, but I would not be surprised if that's correct. Um, now, as uh, Pete Rose reminded me, when we had him on the guest uh, on this podcast a few months ago, he was no longer a player manager. And yes, kids, it used to be a real thing and not just a baseball player manager. Uh, when he made those bets, he was merely a manager. You know, that said, a baseball manager to me has much more say in the outcome of a game, thanks to his management of key personnel than a hockey player does. In fact, I can't even remember a single hockey betting scandal like ever. Uh, the game is so incredibly fast. It's just, you know, I'll concede that a goalie, you know, has by far the best chance of being an influencer, as you noted. But if you go up two terrible first period goals, you might get pulled and your team could rally in the last two periods. I mean, it's, it's no sure thing. And for a skater, I guess the best thing you could do, so to speak, is to commit a stupid penalty if you're on a shorthanded mm-hmm. shift and give the other team a two man advantage. But even there, there's no guarantee of a goal. And yet, if it is found that Kane did bet on his own team's games. Yeah, I mean, that's a big scandal. Absolutely. If he's playing back to back nights, for instance, a guy may play like a man possessed on Friday night because he has big money at stake and he doesn't care what he has left for Saturday night. As for the penalty, that's a good question. You know, Kane has been a reliable 20 goal scorer in his career, but at age 30, he's not heading for the Hockey Hall of Fame. Given some circumstantial evidence that he's not the most upstanding player in the NHL either, I don't think it would be that difficult to ban him, make an example out of him. I mean, this isn't Sidney Crosby we're talking about.
1: Right. So when you say ban him, you're saying for life, possibly. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, if he did bet on Sharks games, again, big, big if there. But if that's the case, then in some order, I guess the holy trinity of sports betting scandals of my lifetime would be Pete Rose, Tim Tim Donahue, and, and this. Um, the problem is that. I as a former serious hockey fan turned extreme casual fan for the last 15 years or so had barely heard of Evander Kane. So that that hurts the size of the scandal I would say in a sense. If it was a more mainstream name like you said Sidney Crosby or Ovechkin or even Connor McDavid then it rivals Pete Rose a little bit better, um, but I still say Donahue is the, the scandal king because he actually probably swung some NBA playoff games. Um, and, and to that end, it does seem hard for a single hockey player to have enough control of the game to make sure his team loses. You spelled it out pretty well. He can get an unnecessary penalty and you know, put his team at certain disadvantages, but to really make sure they give up goals and lose, that's really hard for one guy to control. So, you know, while I have no idea if he bet on NHL games or bet on Sharks games, I find the suggestion that he bet against the Sharks and tried to tank games to win his bets. I find that to be highly unlikely, pretty close to a 0% chance without me able being able to quite say that it is in fact zero.
0: Well, there's, there's, the, there's the other half of it who is going to offer him money to supposedly tank a game expecting that he can do anything to really tank the game i mean as you noted an nba referee scandal can clearly you know be one thing and a manager can clearly manage quite a few things but I mean, there, there has to be a, a secondary person who decides that, oh, yeah, if you if you tell me you're going to help me out here, you're going to do something and it's going to guarantee me a win. Right. You just want to have a better chance. You want to be guaranteed if you're going to fix the damn game exactly. and risk jail time. Uh, so I, and again, the, this whole thing is a total disaster on both ends. Obviously, like I said, this guy is no upstanding citizen. It seems his wife, I'm not too confident in either. I mean, okay. I understand she, she could be under so much stress that she just kind of snapped and, and made a lot of poor choices here, which she did. But uh, I don't know. It's just the whole thing's a mess. And I think uh, the, one, the one salvageable thing about all this is that clearly nobody even when we're talking about it is convinced well we know what happened already you know we're you know forget the innocent until proven guilty we know for sure nobody knows what the hell's going on with this story
1: yeah and to that end you know it's being investigated this is a good test of the league's ability to investigate gambling related claims and i can't really see the outcome whatever it is being bad for the regulated gambling industry like if he bet with legal books And they find the receipts then regulation is working to some extent if he bet with bookies or offshores and those figurative receipts are are harder to find that's a case for more regulated betting to drive away the illegal businesses so i kind of think this could be viewed as a positive for the end of the business that, that we operate in um i will just say as far as evander kane himself goes if you've declared bankruptcy after earning millions of dollars playing hockey and you're claiming big gambling losses, then you absolutely do have a gambling problem. So I hope when this is all said and done, Evander Kane seeks help and makes an effort to quit gambling. It's clearly not a healthy hobby for him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, with the with the level of these charges, I mean, someone is going to walk into a, a, a Las Vegas strip sportsbook and say, you know, I got a hunch give me 50 grand on the Sharks tonight. I'll give the goal and a half, Uh, you know, I mean, the whole thing doesn't quite add up. So I'm, I'm not uh, just not sold on this being a real thing. Other than, like you said, the the most important thing by far is this is somebody with a serious gambling problem. And let's hope he gets help and, and he gets uh, on his way. Uh, If not for his soon to be ex-wife, then for his like year old daughter, for sure.
1: Right. Yeah. Just to double back to what you were just saying about how hard it is to fix a hockey game. I think that's true of, most team sports that, you know, that's why we, uh, the, the, sport that is most embroiled in consistent allegations of fixing is tennis because it's a one-on-one sport where it is actually easy to control and my sport boxing uh even if there are very few actual fixes there's constantly a perception that uh something is rigged and so because any one-on-one sport at least you see it as feasible to do you look at a hockey game and uh you kind of need to you, you need to black socks it you need to pay off half the team to really have a chance i think
0: Yeah, it's just, uh, again, the sport is so fast. I don't see how you just fix anything, but we'll see. Right.
1: All right. Our next story is one we discussed when it was announced as a forthcoming business move. And now that business move is underway, so we'll discuss it again. Uh, Caesars has begun renaming and rebranding its William Hill sportsbooks as Caesars Sportsbooks, and has marked the occasion with a new advertising campaign featuring Curb Your Enthusiasm's J.B. Smoove dressed as Caesar. Our colleague Brett Smiley wrote a thorough piece on Sports Handle this week in which he noted that Caesars is currently, quote, middle of the pack in terms of sports betting market share. But he said, thanks to market access, brand awareness and other factors, he expects Caesars Sportsbook to be on the same tier as DraftKings and BetMGM before too long. John, do you agree with Brett on that? Uh, Are you shedding any tears for the whacking of the William Hill brand in the U.S.? And are the J.B. Smoove commercials doing anything for you?
0: Yeah. uh, I had never heard of Mr. Smooth before this, but uh, I already have seen the commercials here on New York, New Jersey TV. Mm -hmm. It's on a Mets game every 15 minutes already. (laughs) And this is like two days old. It's incredible. Um, I also listened to that call that Brett wrote about and both the call and the commercials, each are kind of all in on how we're all Caesars as some sort of an alliance of a giant gaming company and the betters whose money it needs to stay in business. That can be said of all business, I guess, but I mean, if you run an arts and craft store, you can say you're you're in alliance with your customer because they agree to pay you a certain amount of money in return for product that produces enjoyment, or so I'm told. So but if I'm a gambler, I don't want to give Caesars any money. I want to come out ahead and they give me money, and Caesars on Assembly doesn't want that. So I don't really see the the angle there. Um, now I do believe that MGM will spend a fortune in marketing and that it will move the needle to some extent, uh, especially when we see the new commercials with Patton Oswalt, the, the delightful Spence on the hilarious King of Queens TV show, uh, Oswalt is Caesar's hapless sidekick. Um, that might make me feel more aligned, although I already have a bet MGM account, but clearly I'm realizing that for the elderly crowd, Oswalt is the bigger, bigger play than Smooth.
1: Well, I think I think it's debatable. i well, I guess I don't know. I can't speak for the elderly crowd. I will say that uh, <laughs> that 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 we have uh, drawn some interesting lines in the sand here with regard to our our tastes and where we're coming at pop culture. That you know, King of Queens, but you don't know Curb Your Enthusiasm so mm. well. That that. And whereas I'm the exact. I've never seen an episode of King of Queens, oh, but I love Curb Your oh, Enthusiasm. Please. All yeah. right. Well. Uh, t- all right. Let's. Uh, if if you're willing to uh, watch some Curb, I'll binge some King of Queens. We'll, yeah, we'll do a side bet, but. Um, yeah, I don't have a ton to add on the meat of this topic in terms of Caesars. Uh, I I think, you know, if the sports book product is managed well, they should end up on roughly even footing with the MGM sports book. There's no reason they can't leverage their brand name into similar revenue figures. Um, but, uh, I have a little more to say on the JB smooth front, uh, you're the king of the uh, the name drop here on this podcast, John, uh-huh. but I get to claim that crown with this one because uh-huh. I have interviewed JB Smoove on a podcast um, uh-huh. at a big HBO fight week in Vegas in, I believe, 2017. A new season of Curb was starting and uh, JB was making the rounds at Radio Row and stopped by our podcast setup. Uh, this was when I was was with HBO, not Showtime. I uh, sat with us for a few minutes and it was a delight. He is always on that guy. Uh, He knows people want him to basically be Leon, his character from Curb. So he's pretty much in character all the time. And it's so much fun. And I have to say, he knows his boxing. Uh, He's uh, clearly a fan of the sport. He did... Uh, stuff for the HBO cameras where he was mimicking the fighting stances of various greats over the years and had them all down pat. Uh, so there you go. There's my JB Smoove name, name drop, uh, which I guess means very little to you since you hadn't heard of him till this week. But uh, I'd put him on my personal podcast guest, Mount Rushmore, among people I've uh, interviewed. Uh, Pete Rose is definitely on there with him. The other two uh, might be might be big name boxers. With all due respect to the likes of Cousin Sal, and I, I Phil think you're putting Jeopardy James and all.
0: Yeah, no, you're putting Jeopardy James on there for sure, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I get, let's let's see if let's let time tell whether. People remember who Jeopardy! James is three or four years from now. We will, we will, but I don't know if uh, the world at large uh, (laughs) will remember him. Okay. All right. So uh, moving on for our third story this week, we go to the state of North Carolina, which we've mocked in the past for allowing sports betting only at a couple of tribal casinos that are many hours by car from any population centers. But the Tar Heel State might be on its way to remedying that a Senate bill that would allow 10 to 12 online sports books received a hearing on Wednesday and advanced out of committee, although there are still many hurdles to clear as the bill has to pass through more committees, pass in both houses, and then get signed by the governor. The fastest possible scenario would have it getting signed into law in the fall, meaning mobile betting could launch sometime in 2022. North Carolina is a significant state with the ninth largest population in the U.S., just ahead of legal gambling state Michigan. It borders two states with active mobile betting, Virginia and Tennessee, and two others that don't have it, South Carolina and Georgia. John, I know it's early to draw any big conclusions, but any particular optimism or pessimism over North Carolina's chances and any thoughts on the bill with its low 8% proposed tax rate? Yeah, I
0: mean, this makes me wish I covered North Carolina politics. And frankly, I worry after the near death of newspapers in the United States these days, how many people still do. I mean, that tax rate is Nevada, New Jersey level low. And I can't think of another state offhand that has matched them, maybe Iowa. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. But, you know, let's just say that somebody's lobbied, somebody's important and lobbied them hard. This legislature has been yawning over this issue for three years, and now there's a sudden groundswell somebody's ought to be looking closely into how this is happening and why it's happening now. Hmm. Uh, but I will say I'm not as dismissive about the chances North Carolina anymore, ever letting somebody wager without most of the populace having to drive three to six hours west to a couple of tribal casinos that oh, that sports betting and nowhere else. So something's happening here, but what it is ain't exactly clear.
1: <laughs> I get that reference, even though it's not a Bruce lyric. I still know that one. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, that 8% tax rate, you know, I would assume there will be some changes, some amendments, more people sticking their finger in this pie or whatever the right metaphor is there. Uh, It it seems unlikely that it'll sail right through this easily and get signed into law in 2021 would be my guess. But, you know, that that 8% tax rate, someone's got to look at that and look at other states and say, hey, we can easily double that number and make more money for the state. Um, So I assume that's going to change before this gets done. But it all does sound encouraging in terms of mobile betting coming to North Carolina before long, even if I don't think this year is realistic. Um, It's a big state and an important one in terms of helping to unlock the Southeast. Uh, We know that Georgia has been a bit of a roller coaster in terms of interest and then nothing getting done. But, you know, I think if Florida has legal in-person betting soon and Tennessee has legal mobile and North Carolina ends up having both mobile and in-person it gets harder for Georgia politicians to resist legalizing, I would think. But, you know, we'll see. Still very early stages in North Carolina.
0: Yeah, the dominoes are falling, as they did, as I've talked about before, with yep. the casinos. And just about every state has them now. The lottery even more so. Only a couple of states on. them that so uh it is coming and I, I agree it's important i mean uh mississippi is the sort of the uh, rebel so to speak of the south in terms of gambling it always has been so, so mississippi legalizes something the rest of the south doesn't pay attention but north carolina is pretty reserved so if they're going to do it yeah somebody in georgia is going to say well you know even north carolina did it so yeah i guess we can do it so it's all happening we don't know exactly how quickly but it is happening
1: yeah All right. And uh, we have a bonus fourth story this week. Uh, This just broke like an hour or so before we started recording on Thursday morning. Penn National Gaming is purchasing Score Media and Gaming for $2 billion. That's $2 billion with a B. Uh, So in short, the company that operates Barstool Sportsbook will operate the Score also. And clearly, this is a play to make big money in Canada as the Score Sportsbook Hasn't made a big dent in the U.S. yet, John. We've had very little time to process this news. Maybe we'll dig deeper into it on next week's pod. But do you have any quick initial reactions to share?
0: I mean, on the surface, it seems like uh, the controversial barstool and uncontroversial the score have nothing in common. But and and the the pundits pretty much are saying that uh, they see this as a real pricey number. But I think the commonality is millions of loyal. Members. You know, Barstool, they're into the personalities. Uh, Portnoy, Dave Portnoy, the, the founder, and plenty of other uh, of his uh, colleagues. And the score, it's more the, the convenience of having a one stop shopping scores and now betting and all that. So even though the score isn't a big deal in the gambling world yet, they have that loyal uh, audience that is subscribed to uh, keep track of all their games, whether whether it's uh, because they love a certain sport they have a fantasy team you know whatever it is they're into it and there is some value to that i'm not sure this much value but i think that's why this is a little bit in common with barstool and penn national is a pretty serious company so mm-hmm. i don't think this is crazy as this, some people seem to think it is
1: yeah interesting uh, quick analysis there um i'll just note that uh You you like to bring up the idea of draft duel uh, eventually happening. Uh, Now, bar score sportsbook isn't quite uh, the same, but, uh, you know, we are one step closer to your everything conglomerating into one prediction uh, with this one. Uh, Now, there's a Penn National investor call going on right now as we record this. Presumably some further news and details will come out of that. So I'll just say stay tuned to the U.S. bets family of sites on this story.
0: I'm sure Caesars is thrilled after going all in this week and suddenly finds out, Oh wait, crap. like, Oh, we're the third one. Now we're, there's going to be two. Now there's three and we're the third one. We're all set. Oh, damn it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I guess the, we are all Caesars or whatever, yeah. man. Not, not, not all. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly.
0: It's time to welcome a special guest from the world
2: of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview.
1: Every day or two lately, it's felt like PointsBet has been making news, whether by signing a partnership deal with Drew Brees, launching an online casino app in New Jersey, or securing sports betting market access in Arizona. Uh, Joining us now to perhaps talk a little bit about some of that news, but mostly to talk about the odds and the lines and the state of sports betting in America is PointsBet's head of trading, Jay Croucher. Jay, welcome to Gamble
2: On. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: So, as our listeners have surely identified already, just hearing you say a few words, you are from Australia, the country where Points Bet is headquartered. <laughs> um, when Points Bet first launched in the US, uh, in New Jersey, we had your colleague Seth Young on the podcast, and we talked with him about bringing this unique version of betting called points betting to the States. Closing in on three years in now, how popular is points betting proving to be for you in the US relative to standard spread betting or money line betting?
2: Yeah, so points betting is an interesting one. And for anyone who doesn't know the concept or isn't familiar with it, basically, in a nutshell, it's the more you're right, the more you win. So if you're taking the Ravens minus seven points betting, uh, if they won by 10, then you'd win three times your stake. And if they only won by four, you'd lose three times your stake. Uh, and so the idea is that it keeps people you know, invested all throughout the game um, because you know if the Ravens are up... Thirty uh, in the fourth quarter. Then you know your fixed odds bet that's home, uh, but with points betting, you know you can stay involved um, all throughout the game, and, and every minute matters. In terms of its popularity, uh, it's been it's been an interesting one. It probably hasn't caught on. Um, as much as it did in Australia early on. And I think that's just because, you know, the US is a bit more of a nascent market. But at the same time, people are now, that people are more familiar with betting, they're getting a bit more involved in it. And it's particularly appealing to to people who do have, you know, high risk tolerance because there are the big swings uh, with points betting where you are more rewarded for being right. Um, So it's something that we're going to continue to push out because we think that it is an awesome product. The fact that, you know, you can stay involved throughout the whole game. And so we're going to make product refinements to it to, to try and drive more activity. But yeah, it's definitely definitely a huge area for growth for us going forward.
1: Okay. And, and yeah, I mean, I found it from the start. It sounded like a, a fascinating concept. And I was kind of waiting to see, you know, what some of your competitors might kind of steal the idea and give it their own branding or something like that. As far as I know, none of them have, Done that yet? Are you surprised at all that uh, that you remain the only ones in the US doing the the points betting concept?
2: Yeah. So yeah, we are the only ones in the US doing it. Um, so it is a point of difference for us. Uh, I think. Look, it's really difficult, um, both from a, a trading platform perspective, which we've gotten on top of with points betting, and then also just modeling these markets um, and investing the time and the resources into that to to understanding um, you know distributions uh, and how it works with know particularly a lot of our more sophisticated points betting markets like you can bet on you know Russell Westbrook his points times his assists times his rebounds Mm. uh, and figuring out that number and figuring out the distributions whether it goes under or over and how exponentially the number can grow um, if Westbrook goes off so yeah it is it is a it's a difficult product um, but we think that it's one with you know a lot of upside and I think the main thing is that you know, as people do get more familiar with gambling, that it's going to be something that they're more for, they're more comfortable um, betting on points betting. So, yeah, we think that it is something that that can pick up. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know from uh, talking to your CEO Johnny Aiken right, three years ago in Las Vegas and talking about how comfortable he was with this. That you know, not everybody knows this, but Australia is the most gambling friendly and intensive country in the world by a lot, leaps and bounds. So it's not unusual concept at all over there. Um, But other countries are a little more reluctant and certainly Americans uh, so far are a little passive on that. But I want to talk about the uh, New Jersey division of gaming enforcement. You know, their monthly uh, wagering numbers to me are pretty antiquated. You get uh, baseball, football, basketball, and everything else is labeled other and um, that's a lot of other. So I'm curious about a general sense of what's the most popular other sports, not only in New Jersey, but elsewhere. I understand Colorado has some sort of a fascination with table tennis for you guys. And uh, uh, so, you know, in general, do do, does it vary a lot from state to state that what the other sports are popular or uh, are the specifics where Colorado, are they way ahead in table tennis? And what are some of the other sports that people might be surprised that a lot of people actually like to wager on?
2: Yeah, I think there's something in the water in Colorado that uh, <laughs> skews people towards table tennis because it is huge here uh, for whatever reason relative to other states. But no, there is a lot of differentiation between states. I think that hockey uh, is a really big one where, you know, if there is a local team, then hockey is extremely popular. And if there's not, then it drifts down the pecking order. So for instance, you know, hockey is our fourth highest handle um, sport in Michigan and Colorado. Um, You know, particularly in Colorado, you'd expect that with how good the avalanche are where, You know, we take four times more handle on avalanche games than we do uh, on regular, um, on, on other teams uh, in Colorado. So um, that's an indication of that local bias, but, you know, uh, nationwide after the big three, it's soccer four, tennis, five, hockey, six. Um, And then golf is really uh, gaining in that area as people get more involved with golf in play. Um, So, those are that's the kind of the next tier down, and then after that, you're looking at you know MMA, table tennis. Table tennis has had surprising staying power, uh, where even post the height of the pandemic, people are still betting table tennis and and producing pretty healthy handle there. Um, just I think because of the volume of events um, that are going on every day, but it does vary state to state. I think hockey's the big one, but also soccer as well, where soccer is a lot more popular in, in New Jersey and Illinois than elsewhere.
0: And one other question about uh, baseball, how does that fare among all these sports?
2: Yeah, so baseball, um, you know, just with the volume of games with MLB, it is huge. Like we're seeing significant baseball handle um, at the moment Um, in terms of, you know, average handle per game. It's behind NBA and NFL, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it slots in right there um, at number three.
1: All right. Well, uh, certainly NFL is is the biggest one. And uh, I want to double back to a story John and I discussed on the podcast last week, which is the Aaron Rodgers situation and the way that rumors shifted the Packers odds or caused some books to temporarily take some of the numbers down as a bookmaker. Is that one of the biggest challenges you face reacting to news without overreacting? And and is the idea of pulling markets off the board entirely? Is that something you try to avoid unless absolutely necessary?
2: Yeah. So this Rogers situation was an absolute mess. Um, we try and avoid pulling markets because you know our thought is is that you know when there is uncertainty that we are going to back in that our guess you know is as good as anyone else's, and you know there is protection with the margin naturally and. I think that, you know, you just want to keep markets up so that people can bet on it. Um, and the key, I think, is just not overreacting and and moving off of sharp money as it comes in. And then also with the the Rogers situation, I think you just also have to anticipate where the money is going to come in with that ambiguity. And so the reason that we pushed out the Packers for the division, for instance, you know, like everyone else did, is that, you know, no one is going to bet on the Packers at even money for the division when, you know, it seemed like there was at least a 50-50 chance that Jordan Love would be playing um, quarterback for the Packers. So you have to anticipate in that in that instance. And, you know, Sharp started hammering uh, the Vikings, the Bears and the Lions for the division, you know, as soon as the news broke, particularly that uh, when that report came out that, you know, Rogers was going to retire in the next seven days, um, all the money came in on Minnesota. So, yeah, you just have to not not overreact and react to the money that is coming in. Um, and with the not overreacting, like a couple of days ago when the Bulls, when they traded for Demar Derozan, um, you know people were coming out of the woodwork to hammer the Bulls title price. And you know the Bulls aren't winning the title, so we don't. Uh, yeah, we don't have to move the numbers so much there, just based off of money. So we try and uh, we try and move just off of the informed money.
1: Right. Well, I, you said a, a phrase there that I don't know that uh, I've ever heard before or ever will hear again. Sharps betting on the Lions. Uh, the, the, can, <laughs> can, can we call them Sharps if they took the Aaron Rodgers uncertainty and decided to bet the Lions?
2: Yeah, I guess. I mean, the 25 to 25 to one number on Detroit was a bit big and, you know, with the NFL, you know, injuries, uncertainty. Um, and yeah, I think a few people still buying in the, the Jared Goff can channel a, a few years ago when he was actually a pretty good quarterback. But uh, yeah, I'd say that there'd be a lot of unhappy people holding uh, Detroit Lions, <laughs> NFC North tickets at the moment, thinking they were going up against Jordan Love when uh, they're going up against Aaron Rodgers now.
0: Right. Yeah, I just want to talk about uh, the fact that, you know, I'm going back to the mid-1970s. I'm a teenager and gambling was not yet the... Uh, sort of ostracized from culture until now it is back in but uh, be you know before it was out it was in again but uh, you know at the time my neighborhood just outside of new york city we had a pool of parents and children who, who, who bet every point game uh, every nfl point spread game and i remember because i won three, 17 of us, I won $51. It was a big deal. So I'm in my mid teens and I would be as good an amateur bookmaker or odds layer as any adult at the time. And, um, but it makes sense because I grew up with the sport, but I'm just thinking for an Australian, obviously you're just talking about the NFC North there, you know, quite a bit about it, but uh, you know, how does a bookmaker not from the, the country that he lays the odds on, is it possible to pick up on a sport that quickly or is odds making not really as much about knowing, you know, all 53 players names on every NFL squad or, or do you have to farm it out different sports to different people? You know, how does an odds maker from Australia uh, lay odds on American uh, games?
2: Yeah. So I'm probably a weird example because I, I grew up obsessed with the NBA, NFL, MLB, even being in Australia. I had a a no. on Prince jersey when I was 12 years old. Um, <laughs> I don't know what was wrong with me, but uh, so I was, yeah, I was all in. And so when I came to the US, it was a fairly easy transition with mm-hmm. those three sports, at least. Um, hockey is something that um, I've, come to love. I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on with hockey when I got here, but now um, now I find it almost the most watchable um, of the four sports at times um, with how action-packed it is and, um, and how it lends itself to gambling. But, look, I think that with, with betting, um, even if you're not super familiar with the sport, there are certain principles that just apply, you know, across all sports um, in terms of, you know, confidence based uh, on the liquidity in the market, how popular the event is, um, how reliable the pricing will be, um, you know, bookmaking principles, moving up with sharp money, um, all that will apply to every sport. And then in terms of how we break it up, we do have experts in each sport. So there are people in our team who can know a lot more about hockey than I do. Um, and, you know, and we back those people in to you know, to make judgments and, and depart from the market, you know if there is a rational case to, uh, and, and obviously there's a, there is a line there if, if, Someone in our NFL trading team, if they wanted to, uh, if they wanted to make the Bucks favored um, in the Super Bowl um, earlier this year, even though they did win, if they wanted to go Bucks minus two and a half when the rest of the global market is is Chiefs minus three, then we're not going to give them that license. But you know, if they wanted to part from the market um, on you know an award. Uh, like comeback player of the year or something like that, where there's not as much liquidity and it's not as solid and there is a rational case, then we'll back in our experts to do that.
0: Yeah. One other question on that is uh, I think there are a lot of people in the US who are setting their ways in the idea of, well, the book doesn't gamble at all. They just want to have exactly half the money on each side. And then they they take the VIG and they go home and they're happy. Uh, But that hasn't been that way for many years, has it?
2: No, I think that's that's probably the biggest misconception about yeah. books is, yeah, you just set the number and get money either way. That's not what we do. What we do is we set the number at the point where we think we're going to win the most money um, because that's what we're in the business of. And so... Yeah, it's like people are always shocked when, you know, I told them we had, you know, 90% of our handle in the Super Bowl was on Kansas City minus three. And they're like, well, why didn't you move the number? It's like, well, we're happy with the number. If we move the number, then we're not happy with it. And then we're laying at a bad price. So you just have to live with the consequences once you get the number to the best possible place.
1: Fascinating stuff. Well, last little thing to throw at you here, Jay. Uh, John is in New Jersey uh, where he has access to points bet. I'm in Pennsylvania and the word on the street is that PointsBet is coming here soon. Can you give me any kind of a scoop on how soon I'll be able to set up an account?
2: Uh, yeah, that's a bit of a wait and see. Pennsylvania is, you know, it's, it's definitely a focus for us um, and we have that access there. And, you know, particularly with our relationship with, um, with NBC and having the RSNs there, it'll be a huge focus. So all I can say is that it's, uh, it's very much top of our priority list.
1: I figured that was the sort of answer I would get, but I had to take a <laughs> shot.
2: <laughs> yeah, very good.
1: All right. Well, great talking to you, Jay. It's been uh, really interesting and informative. Thanks so much for coming on Gamble On.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks, Jay.
0: Two men. Two men.
2: $10,000.
0: Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble
2: On bankroll.
1: Only three bankroll results to report this week, as we await a couple of Olympics wagers that won't settle until the weekend. Uh, We had three bets for $50 a piece at varying potential payouts. John's bet on the White Sox money line at minus 180 did not pan out, but if we were going to lose one, that was the one to lose as there wasn't that much money to be gained at minus 180. My bet on the Giants run line at plus 210 was a winner. uh, So that got us a nice $105 profit but the one we really wanted to win was John's bet on Paul Casey to medal at plus three fifty. He made it into a seven-way playoff for the bronze, but came up short. Uh, so in total, those three fifty dollars bets resulted in a profit of five bucks. Uh, that means we're now nine hundred ninety-two dollars in the hole. Plus we have one thousand eight hundred sixty-seven dollars on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with seven thousand one hundred forty-one dollars available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John.
0: Yeah, we have a limited field event with no cut for the WGC FedEx St. Jude golf event in Memphis this week. So the last group starts at noon Eastern time. So around our posting of this podcast, but I found the final group has Tony Finau and I'm going to go hundred to win 125 on him, finishing in the top 20 in a strong field, but I think about 68 players. And by the way, I could have had a plus 30 on DraftKings, but that's a chop if it's like eight-way tie for 19th or whatever this one there's no chop if he's t20 times 10 i st- we still get the whole 130 so i did okay. shop around a little bit how's that
1: all right i appreciate that you're learning <laughs> Uh, All right. I'm going to start with two boxing bets, one Olympic and one pro. Uh, The pro bet involves a former Olympian, uh, Michael Conlon of Ireland, who achieved a measure of fame at the 2012 Olympics when he won bronze and got shafted by the judges in the semifinals and flipped them the middle finger after the decision was announced. Um, He takes on TJ Doheny on Friday. I'm about 75% sure this fight is going the 12 round distance. I'm seeing that particular outcome, it going the distance at minus 225 at some books, but only minus 166 at FanDuel. So let's jump on that. I think that's good value. $83 to win 50 that the fight goes 12 rounds. And then in the Olympics, Let's support an American. Uh, three members of the men's boxing team have made it to the medal round. I'm not seeing odds yet on super heavyweight Richard Torres's gold medal match, uh, but there are odds on Keyshawn Davis's semifinal match. He's minus 225 to beat Armenia's Hofanis Bochkov. Uh, don't want to bet too big at that minus 225 price. Let's go 90 bucks to win 40 that Davis will advance to the finals.
0: All right. Sounds like Mr. Collin got his Irish up, as we say. <laughs> he uh, did indeed. I, yeah. <laughs> like that. Um, I'm going to try the Reds uh, and Sonny Gray at home Thursday night for us, the punchless Pirates. 50 at minus one and a half runs at minus 120. Yeah. They just can't lose this game,
1: I, I think. <laughs> you said they're against the Pirates who were yes. who were uh, rooting to lose as often as possible Absolutely, anyway. Yes. So uh, yes. all right, we got a, a couple of different uh, ways uh, that we're <laughs> sweating, sweating this one and rooting for yep. the Reds. Um, and uh, I'll go baseball as well for my second bet. I'll try to extend my baseball win streak on plus money bets to two. Uh, last week's guest, Mike Seeley, wrote a good piece for U.S. Bets about the spunky Seattle Mariners and how they're the second most profitable team to bet on in all of MLB this year. They are a nice, healthy the plus 195 underdog against the yankees tonight uh the pitching matchup doesn't favor seattle but plus 195 on a team that finds a way to win more often than not i think that's worth a shot so let's bet 60 bucks to win 117 on a mariners upset win and what could be more fun than rooting against the yankees other than rooting against the astros the red Sox, and the dodgers who have basically become the yankees i'll co-sign <laughs> okay good and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Jay Croucher. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to USBets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out.
0: Well, you know, these are crazy times, Eric, and I can understand why it can seem like there will never, ever be a solution to bitter conflicts, whether local or abroad. But come with me as we travel through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the results of last week's Olympic men's golf results. Yes, that's what I said. The winner, of course, is Xander Schauffele, who was a German father, Austrian ancestry, as well as a mother who's a Taiwan native, but who grew up in Japan. Now, I'm not even 60 years old, but as I noted in some of last year's homilies, the Germans were shooting at my father's B-17 on his 35 missions as a bombardier during World War II. The Japanese, of course, were another major foe at the time. And Austria, well, almost one million of them fought for the Nazis. In other words, maybe I could hold a grudge here uh, as Germans killed my dad's co-pilot during one mission. But I don't. Beyond that, the Ireland twosome for this... uh, Olympic golf event were Rory McIlroy and Shane Lowry which is interesting because Rory's from Northern Ireland and Shane is from the Republic of Ireland and sure their accents seem awfully similar to Americans but from the late 1960s until the late 1990s I remember well what was called the Troubles left countless people dead as Catholics and Protestants battled. Rory was raised Catholic and he had an uncle who was murdered before he was born by most accounts for moving his large Catholic family into a Protestant neighborhood in East Belfast, Northern Ireland. I couldn't blame Rory if he held a grudge against his own countrymen but It seems that he doesn't. Somehow the troubles went away, and now in 2021, we have citizens of both countries playing under the same flag, wearing identical outfits for the first two rounds of the tournament, and I didn't hear a lot of outcry. So look, if you bet on Shoffley to win, congratulations. And if you bet on Rory to win a medal, well, he did make it into a playoff for bronze, so nice try there. But the lack of discussion of once bitter and fatal battles over the years, I think the fact that we're there, we finally have gotten there, that's a lot more important than anybody's bet. So with that, until next time, everybody, gamble on.